my name is Sharzad Kiade. Welcome back to Not My Circle, a conversation series where I talk to people that are not in my normal circle. Today, I am talking to the highest paid legal sex worker in this country. We talk a lot about the legalization of prostitution and she shares so many interesting things with me. And I think you guys are going to get a lot of good takeaways from this. You might think about sex work in a different way after you hear her story. Anyway, please enjoy Alice Little. Hi, Alice. Hello. I'm so happy to chat with you. What'd you have for breakfast today? Oh my gosh, I had a little bit of avocado toast with a nice over easy egg on top. Absolutely delightful. Oh, good. Good. That sounds like it. That's like sounds like a Charizard breakfast. Um, you are a sex worker. You work at a brothel. Yes. Talk to me about your world and your life. What does that mean? Well, being a sex worker, I feel encompasses so many different things. It's not just providing sex. It's so much more than that. My world is intimacy. It's connection, communication, the ability to connect with someone on a deeper, meaningful level. And of course, sexuality is certainly a part of that as well. But it's multifaceted. It's not just one thing. So my world is one of people, of these incredible interactions with folks from all around the world, of all different backgrounds, getting to genuinely know their hearts and minds, and in many cases, their bodies as well. Wow, you said that beautifully. Where, um, so you, you work in a brothel. Yes, during non-COVID times, of right. course. However, my work isn't limited to just the brothel space. I'm also an online provider. I'm a sex educator through YouTube. I do many different things within this space. So it's hard to say just one thing of it. Of course, of course, totally. Can you walk me through how you got started in this industry? Where'd you grow up? What was your childhood like? Yes. So I was fortunate to have a very open-minded childhood. My family didn't really have any like sex stigma or concerns around intimacy growing up. I mean, I where babies came from, I knew what sex was. I knew the proper words for the differences between boy body parts and girl body parts. It wasn't something that was really like held as shameful. And so I never really had a lot of sex stigma growing up. And so in my teens, I was very comfortable exploring. And my first introduction to the world of sex work came by way of a BDSM dungeon when I was 18 years old in New York City. I had the opportunity to work at a front desk of a certain location and kind of handle their educational curriculum, book different folks to come in, teach classes to the various intimacy providers, as well as the guests and the people who use that space. And well, that was kind of the introduction for me at the age of 18. As you, to, mm -hmm. go ahead. Sorry, sorry, I cut you off. Sorry. Go ahead. Oh, as to the brothel world, I entered that when I was 25 years old and I've been in it for five years now. Now, did you grow up in New York? Yeah, so I was born in Ireland, but I primarily did grow up on the East Coast. And then you were curious, sexually curious, like many 18-year-olds are. I was a very curious person all my life. Um, and you were just drawn to work front desk in this BDSM. And will you explain BDSM for people that don't know? I'm not even 100% sure if I know exactly what it stands for. No worries. So BDSM usually stands for bondage 
domination, sadism, masochism. And that's kind of just a spectrum of different interests that all sort of fall under this like larger title of kinky, fetishy, erotic sort of intimacy. And for me, my introduction to that world came by way of my college roommates. They happened to work within that space themselves. And so I kind of got this very easy introduction into the world. When I think of BDSM, I think of a woman wearing really high stilettos and stepping on somebody's balls and then whipping them repeatedly with like black leather. Is that, is, am, I, am I off or am I kind of close? You know, it's not inaccurate. Okay. It looks many different ways, not just this highly sexualized wearing heels. Sometimes it's more of like this powerful boot sort of scenario where you're like getting physically rough with somebody and physically like taking them down into the ground and like beating this guy up. I mean, it it looks many different ways. Sometimes it's not even rough or physical at all. It's a little bit more sensual or perhaps it's with the use of something like electricity or fire, like things that you wouldn't even necessarily expect. It's a very, very diverse setup. But what you described is certainly a part of it. Now, did you do BDSM in New York also? Um, I wasn't a provider. I was, however, an educator. And so one of the days I had scheduled someone to come into New York and like it often does, there was a snowstorm and so they couldn't get into town. However, I had all these locals that were already here in the space waiting for a class. And so I jumped in at the last minute and taught something that I was fairly well versed in. And from there was asked to present at other local locations, which eventually led to me presenting all around the country, which is how I eventually learned of the legal Nevada brothels and entered that world. Okay, perfect segue. So you're you're in New York and then you hear about this brothel. And I did a little bit of research. You worked pre-COVID at the it's the Moonlight Bunny Ranch, right? One of the oldest continually running brothels in the country, right? Yes. Yes. And then post-COVID, I'll be working at the world famous and historic Chicken Ranch, which is located closer to Vegas. Okay. So you you go to the brothel or you how do you get a job at a brothel? So first it starts with an online application, your name, your age, a few photos, a little bit about yourself. And then the location gives you a call back and kind of explains to you a little bit more detail before being invited out with a certain start time. You're responsible for booking your own flight out to Nevada, traveling there yourself. And then when you first arrive at the brothel, your first step is to go and see the doctor because everything starts there. You have to have a STD. STI free person to be able to work in a legal brothel, of course. And so first you go to the doctor upon arrival. And then once you get your results back, you go to the sheriff's office where you undergo a literal FBI fingerprint background process and fill out an extensive application to then get your license to work legally. From there, you'll return back to the brothel where you'll be partnered with a more experienced provider to kind of act as a big sister and mentor and kind of handhold you through the first week or so of your experiences as a brothel provider. Amazing. I had no idea that there were 
that there was all that background work that went into working at a brothel. But I have to imagine that in a brothel, there's security protection. And um, like you said, you've got a clean bill of health before you go there. So there's just a different level of safety. I have a lot of questions and my mind is going a mile a minute, but I'm going to take a deep breath and try and ask all of them because I'm super fascinated by this. Mm -hmm. One, in my in the stereotype I have in my mind, the image I have in my mind, you have to like sleep with a pimp and he has to like check whether or not you're worthy of like working under his care. Is that a totally out there stereotype? I see you laughing. What, what, how does that work? Does he have to like test you out? Okay. No, not a thing, not a thing at all. So first off, the current brothel owner is female of the Moonlight Bunny Ranch, and she is very not interested in sleeping with anyone under any circumstance. So uh, definitely not a concern, nor was it a concern under the previous owner, uh, Dennis Hoff. That was never not a thing, not a thing, not a thing. Now, with that said, I can't necessarily say that isn't a possibility in the independent and unfortunately criminalized market. All sorts of things happen because it is unregulated. There aren't protections in place for the workers. And therefore, it would be inaccurate to say, oh, no, that doesn't exist. It just doesn't exist in my experience in my world. Right. Okay. so you get to the bunny ranch. You're 25. You're obviously sexually enlightened and open-minded. Um, you get paired with a big sister. Now, is there a lot of competition here now with the other women? Or is it? does it really feel like a sisterhood? Not necessarily. I mean, I don't think there's a scenario in which you partner somewhere between 50 and 20 women and put them all in the same house in the same business where there isn't going to be some squabbling and some disagreement. I feel like that's just human nature. At the same time, everyone at the end of the day certainly does have each other's backs. And it's important to note that everyone is an individual. Like I am a four foot eight, very petite Irish redhead. There's not a lot of four foot eight, very petite. Irish redheads running around that are necessarily comparable to me. And so oftentimes you'll see locations put very uh, diverse and unique ladies within a workspace in order to kind of cut down on some of that perceived competition. For example, you're not going to see a location necessarily have three, five foot, ten ladies with blonde hair, blue eyes. And if you do, one might be very petite, one might be very curvy, one might be heavily tattooed. You're going to have very distinctive differences between what these ladies both look like as well as their personalities, because it's not just a physical appearance. It's also an attitude. People are looking for someone to connect with, not just on a purely physical level here. They're looking for someone who's compatible with them intellectually as well. What are their hobbies and interests? Are they introverted or extroverted? Are they more of a party girl or are they somebody that wants to go and sit and genuinely get to know somebody? And I think it's a beautiful thing that there is such diversity within the space. Totally, totally. What was your first experience like? Like the very first person that you had come in, what was that like? 
Oh my gosh. Well, for myself, it was my very first lineup ever that I was chosen out of. So I didn't necessarily expect that to happen. I literally was still getting introduced. The bell goes off and my big sister says, hey, it's a lineup. Why don't you just hop in for fun's sake? You know, you probably won't get picked. Statistically, there's a lot of girls. And I was like, okay, cool. You know, jump in and oh my God, I get picked. And so thank goodness she kind of just like slid in behind me. It was like whispering in my ear, like, okay, now take his hand and kind of like take him through the house. And she helped me through the tour and through the negotiation. And, you know, it was a really positive experience for me. He was just super nice. My big sister was wonderfully helpful. It just was really wonderful overall. Um, and do you, do you enjoy your job? It looks like you do. Cause you talk about it, a smile on your face. And, um, I can tell from your voice that you seem like a very happy person. So I'm, yeah, it's absolutely a choice for me. And I recognize the fact that that is certainly a privilege. I'm able to choose to do this. I'm in a position right now where what I do is 100% my body, my choice. I'm highly selective about who I see and the kind of activities that I do with my guests. And that's not the case for all sex workers. So I always like to acknowledge the fact that it is a privilege and that I'm incredibly happy with what I do and how I'm able to do it. Yeah. I feel like for a sex worker working where you work is probably at the, you're at the top of the game right there. I mean, because that is I, not the normal. I hate to say it's the top of the game. It's the top of the privilege pyramid, really. It's how much protection do you have? And legality right now only exists in one of the 50 states and only within the legal brothels, which only have so much space and they only accept women. That's problematic. What about trans sex workers? What about male sex workers? There's certainly imbalances in who is a legal sex worker. Like if you look just at pure physicality, you'll notice that most of the sex workers look like me. We are fair skinned and, you know, that's not really good enough. That means that there's imbalances in who's being given opportunities and access to legality. So I actually view it as somewhat problematic that it's a privilege pyramid because that's not really an ideal thing in the long term for the benefit of all sex workers. It certainly puts me in, in, in an advantageous place, but you know, it's just not good enough. Right. I appreciate that you brought that up and it almost seems like you're a sex worker advocate in the way that you speak about it. And I, and I'm curious, um, you obviously think that prostitution should be legal. I, I think it needs to be. I guess I shouldn't assume that. What do you think? I think it needs to be decriminalized as well as legalized. Okay. I think that we need both. Oftentimes this conversation comes up as an either or scenario where either we decriminalize or we legalize. And I'm looking at this in the same way that a lot of the marijuana advocates looked at issues around weed and legalization and decriminalization, which is. We actually need both of these things. We need decriminalization to protect those who are the most marginalized. Folks that are migrants doing survival level sex work, they deserve rights too. They're sex workers too, no matter how they are working or how they are providing. They are people who need basic human rights, safety, a good legal space to work in that isn't going to cause them harm, the ability to call the police if their rights are being violated. That's like a non-negotiable. That's decriminalization. So I view that as like, this is where we have to start. And that 
then in order to legitimize the industry, we do need legalization. Legalization is what will give the most marginalized of sex workers access to financial institution, savings accounts, checking accounts, the ability to finance a property, set up a retirement plan for themselves, which are currently things which are inaccessible to those who work within the criminalized area. And even as someone who's perfectly legal, it's only legal at a state level. So I can't use national level banking institutions, which limits my ability to save and plan for the future and finance properties or things of that nature. So I think it's really a both scenario here. We need both of these things to really move forward. 100% agree. 100%. Thanks for coming to my TED Talk, everyone. <laughs> oh, I agree with you. Look, prostitution is one of the oldest professions in the entire world. And like you said, there are women that are, are using this career to survive. They have to. A lot of these women don't have a choice. And isn't it fair as humans to protect them a little bit so that there isn't a lot of violence and they aren't completely taken advantage of. And I wanted to talk about violence because I think there is, of course, a stereotype that sex workers are abused. And obviously many of them are. Did you ever feel like unsafe or did you have any violent experiences when you were working? I'm lucky. I'm privileged. I, I'm able to say no. I've never I've never felt uncomfortable where I work. All of the locations have panic buttons that if there's a problem, I could have somebody at my door helping me instantly. And the only time I've ever had to hit my button is because like a tarantula got into the room and I didn't want to deal with it. So I was like, oh, oh, no, where's that? But this is someone else's problem. OK, I'm not I'm not I'm going to stand on my bed. I'm I'm not even going to open the door like, no, 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 you can come into me to deal with this. I'm not. Mm, mm, mm. But like, that's a that's an incredible privilege. Right. I'm very, very lucky. And it's important to note that sex work. It's not inherently dangerous work. What makes it dangerous work is criminalization because we push it into the underbellies of society, that kind of gray and black market. It, that's what makes it dangerous. Inherently, I think sex work is very beautiful, healing, empowerly. It, it, it's there's nothing wrong with it. Like you said, it's been around since the dawn of time. It's been around in every single sector of our society since the dawn of time. It's been around globally. It's not going anywhere. We need to live with it. And we might as well make it beneficial to the people who are providing the service. Totally. Perfectly said. I want to talk about the services you provide because I think that sounds really fun and interesting and everybody wants to talk about sex, baby. So yes. what is, I want to know the process. Like I'm a man or a woman. I want to have sex. Um, I want companionship. I want intimacy. Do I pick from a menu? Do I literally just go pick out a girl and say, hey, I want X, Y, Z. Like what is this world what does that part of your job look like? Yes. So there's two different ways in which people can connect with a sex worker. The first is to literally walk in, see whom is available, select somebody either from the lineup or from a conversation at the bar, kind of get to know them a little bit, discuss what they enjoy and have that conversation in person. Or I'm personally by appointment only. So you would email me or another provider in advance of your trip and say, hey, I'm 
so-and-so. Here's a little bit about me, my hobbies, my interests. Here's a little bit about what I'm looking for. Here's what I want to get out of this experience. Here's when I'm looking to visit. Let's chat. And then we'll email back and forth and pick a time and a date to meet. We'll confirm that booking with a deposit, which, of course, goes towards the experience. And then in person, we'll have the conversation around the specifics since legally we can't discuss outright prices online online. That's not something we're able to do. And so that part of the conversation happens in person. With that said, I prefer to get to know people a little bit better at first, make sure that the two of us are a good fit for each other, because I only like to see one person each day. So I can kind of give them 100% of my effort, my energy, my attention. Whereas for myself, I feel like if I'm seeing lots of different people and I don't have the opportunity to really get to know them first, I'm not able to be as a quality provider. I'm not able to give my all and give my best. I, I really feel most comfortable working from that appointment standpoint. So that's what I choose to do. And again, definitely a privilege. I'm very, very fortunate to be able to do so. Do you feel like most people really want like somebody to listen to them? Or do you feel like people want straight, like crazy sexual things? I say crazy, but I'm sure they're just normal things. Um, like what do people want? Or is it really a conversation? Like I've, I've heard that some people hire sex workers because they just want to talk to a nice, cute woman or some people yeah. hire sex workers to just snuggle with them or give them a bath or whatever. Yeah. And it's not uh, half the time. It's not even about penis and vagina or vagina and vagina, penis, penis kind of coming together. It, it's about a million other things. What's your yeah. experience? All of those things are true. One hundred percent of everything you just said exists within my world and so much more. I see people who just want to have a really good threesome. I see couples who want to improve their intimacy together. I see straight women who have never had an orgasm and literally want to go sex toy shopping and learn about their body in a safe way. I see women who are married that are also bisexual, but have never gotten to connect with a woman and they want to have that first experience, but they want it to be really private and comfortable. I see virgins who have never had sex before and want to have like this amazing experience. I see people who just want to emulate porn and try all those positions that they've seen and just kind of like check the box off and get to have that fun fantasy. I see people who are literally like paralyzed from the waist down who have no feeling in their penis and they just want to experience comfortability and safety and intimacy in a completely different way. All of those things are true, which is why I think it's such an important thing to bring to our society because it is beneficial to almost everyone within society, regardless of what their needs or desires or wants are. Yeah, you're really breaking the stigma of what I think most people think of when they hear the word prostitution or I don't, do you feel like the word hooker is like a degrading word? I believe so, but it, it's very personal. Some sex workers embrace it. Some sex workers are against it. For myself, if it's not something I'm comfortable with, I, I don't tend to use that type of language. Right. At the same time, some sex workers are kind of reclaiming these stigmatized words and saying, no, I am a prostitute and there's nothing wrong with that. That's not my personal viewpoint, but at the same time, I need to honor and acknowledge their viewpoint. So it, it really depends on the individual. Call people what they want to be called. You know, and I'm sorry, I should have asked you this. What do you want me to call you? A sex worker? Well, I consider myself to be a 
a sex worker, an intimacy provider, a sex educator. All of those things are true. And there's many different positive terms for what I do, the services that I provide. And the reality is it's not just one thing I do. I, I do a whole bunch of different things. So there's a whole wide range of different things that I could be called. Um, well, thank you for clarifying that. And I'm always trying to be cautious of how to refer to people because that's their identity and I want to be respectful, right? Of course. Mm-hmm. Um, h- how much money can somebody make working at a brothel like the one that you work at? It totally varies. Again, I get to speak from a position of privilege as the most successful sex worker of all time within a legal brothel. Uh, prior to the coronavirus, I had booked, and keep in mind, this isn't what comes into my pocket, of course, but I had booked uh, $1.2 million. Now, keep in mind that it is a 50-50 split. So 50% of that instantly goes to a brothel. And then out of that, I have all of the expenses, business expenses, doctor expenses, um, taxes, all of those sorts of things. So it's kind of funny, but I see the smallest percentage of my income. The government literally makes more money off of me than I make off of me. Was that for a year? Yes, that was within a one year. Yes. That's a nice salary. Um, and the cost of living in Nevada isn't super high. And don't you, you don't have um, state tax there, right? Correct. No state tax at the time. I was a Nevada citizen. And so that was fantastic and worked really well in my favor. Of course, it's it's complicated because sex workers are responsible for setting up 100 percent of all of their own benefits. We don't get uh, medical services through our jobs as independent contractors. We have to set that up for ourselves. We have to do our own tax withholding. And so it's certainly nuanced and complicated. And I certainly am very comfortable with the way that I'm compensated. At the same time, I question the 50-50 split if that's necessarily ethical for a sex worker to have to cover all the business expenses and do all of the work to set up appointments, but then instantly 50% goes to somewhere for providing a location. I just question whether that's necessarily correct. So you are the highest paid sex worker in the country? Uh, Legal sex worker, yes. Right, right. Okay, that's that's fascinating. You know, you don't fit the typical mold of what somebody thinks of a sex worker. You look super young and bubbly with your overalls, but I I think people think sex worker and they think platinum blonde, huge tits, you know, black eyeliner. 100%. And it's one of the reasons why I choose to dress very comfortably for pieces like this. I don't doll myself up. I'm wearing absolutely no makeup right now. I had a oral surgery literally two weeks ago. So my cheeks are still all swollen here. Like I, I wear stuff that's very comfortable. Like later today, I'll be going for a hike. I feel like it's important to represent who I am as a complete person, not just this, ooh, let me put on a dress and the makeup and the hair and be this sexy expectation of what a sex worker is because the reality is sex workers are full people not just sex workers and so this year I think it's really important to go out of my way to really own the fact that this is who I am and this is also what I do and these two things exist at the same time yeah you look beautiful 
Oh, well, thank you. And everything you're doing is working, making all that money. So I wouldn't change a damn thing, girlfriend. You're doing a great job. Do your parents you. know what you do or are, you, are they involved in your life still? Mm-hmm. Yep. My family is well aware of what I do. They're very proud and very comfortable with it. Of course, you know, they don't go and seek out my social media. They don't necessarily want to see pictures of me all done up in lingerie, but they certainly are aware and are very comfortable with it. I really do see, and I don't know if you've already started to get into this, but I really do see you as an advocate for sexual workers around the country, for sure. I mean, the way you passionately speak about them and protecting them and having rights. Is that something you've ever thought of doing or do you already do it? Yes, advocacy is a very important part of what I do. During the pandemic, I set up a website, sexworkerssupport.com, that listed all the different mutual funds that had popped up to support sex workers through the pandemic. I, I think it's very important to be an advocate, not just for my industry, but for the profession as a whole, especially when it comes to establishing rights for those who are most marginalized. So advocacy is certainly just as much as part of my identity as being a sex worker is. Um, quick question before I forget, because it popped up in my mind. Do people that come to the Bunny Ranch also have to get tested? No. So there's actually a visual exam that happens before any experience at any legal brothel, not just at the Bunny Ranch. It's called a, a DC. I'll let you infer what it stands for. It's a something check. And okay. well, it's a just quick visual exam to make sure everything looks happy and healthy. Keep in mind, all services require protection. 100%. We are using barriers. That is a non-negotiable. Don't even try to get around it. It's not happening. Sorry. It's part of legality is there's literally a sign on the door that says this is required. So okay. we're not necessarily as concerned and as a provider i'm tested every single seven days regularly wow that's a lot i am the most tested person on the planet literally there is no one who is tested more frequently than legal nevada brothel workers because wow. not even porn stars are tested every seven days that's every two weeks right right right, right. they're having unprotected sex keep in mind so i mean we are very very safe with what we're doing right i have a question um if you're on your period, do you keep working or do you like take a break? So it depends on the provider. And also keep in mind that many sex workers will use their birth control in a way to not even have a period in the first place. Some providers won't work well on their period. Some providers will work when on their period. Some providers don't get a period. For those who do work on their period, oftentimes they'll take like a like a sponge and then you can soak that and then use that before sex to create a natural barrier. Um, for myself, I just use the birth control method. I just adjust things hormonally. So I am good to go. Awesome. Um, what do you feel like some common misconceptions are about you and your line of work? Uh, common misconceptions, all sex workers are trafficked, abused, exploited, or disempowered. Uh, sex work is work. It's a job. I don't think it's required for a sex worker to feel empowered by their job for them to do their job not everybody feels necessarily super empowered by their job just ask a, a teacher how they feel about their salary i mean that doesn't necessarily feel very empowering for someone who's providing such an incredibly valuable service but ask a sex worker that same question do you feel empowered by your income and most of us are gonna be like oh heck yeah i, I certainly do um 
trafficking, the conflation between sex trafficking and sex work is dangerous because when we push those two things together, we actually prevent assistance from genuinely going to those who are trafficked. Like many, many, many uh, DAs now around the country are choosing to no longer prosecute consensual sex work. While it's not decriminalization, it is a step in the right direction because we're no longer wasting efforts on people who are literally just having sex between two consenting adults versus taking that time, effort, energy, police resource and helping victims who typically are underage because there's no such thing as an underage sex worker that is a victim. You cannot consent to doing sex work underage. That's just a fact. And so I feel like the language we use is very important. So when we say all sex workers are victims or must be trafficking victims, we actually hurt people who genuinely have been trafficked because because now we're not helping them and we're not even helping sex workers. We're just hurting everybody. And so I feel like that's a really dangerous misconception and something that is very important to discuss whenever possible. I've never, I've never thought about it that way, but you're totally right. Like taking resources away from two consenting adults, exchanging powers and having an intimate moment and putting it towards people who are actually trafficked and underage would be so valuable. I'm sure law enforcement agrees though, right? I mean, what's- Not everywhere. Unfortunately, the criminalization of consensual sex between two adults for money still exists. Right, right, of course. Because because that's still a thing, there are still sex workers that are being sent to prison every single day for simply providing a service in exchange for finances. And that's- That's insane. It's wild. It is absolutely crazy. It's about as ridiculous as prosecuting marijuana charges when half the country has it legalized. Now, like, what are we doing here? Update with the times, decriminalize, restore rights to the people, and certainly expunge the records of anybody who had been previously charged with prostitution as a crime. Because... What does that criminal record do? It creates a barrier for them working legally because I have to undergo such an extensive background check. If I had worked independently and illegally and received a charge for that, I'd be disqualified from working legally. Right. Insane. It is absolutely insane. And so we we have to do better. And it all starts with the destigmatization and acceptance of sex work is just a normal part of society. Totally, totally, totally. What do you want people to know about you? Uh, I want people to know that I am a human being who is also a sex worker. I am a real person with feelings and beliefs outside of just my career. And, And that what I do for a living isn't just the whole of who I am as a person. At the same time, sex work is so important as a service to society that I go out of my way to advocate for it. The most important thing that anybody listening or watching or experiencing this can do is to be a sex worker supporter and a sex worker ally. If you hear people bad-mouthing sex workers and using stigmatizing language, correct them. If you have the opportunity to vote for decriminalization, support the decriminalization of sex work, and most importantly, share this message with your family and your friends. Normalize these conversations around sex work is just another thing we have as a part of our society. No more strange than a marijuana or a massage therapist. It's just another facet of our society. 
I'm, I'm hugging and clapping and cheering because I love the way you said that. And I think you you really speak in um, a way that's very digestible for somebody to understand. And, and, I, and I really admire that. And I appreciate the way you speak about it because, I, you know, you say the word sex and already people have a lot of feelings, right? Sex. Oh, my God. Sex. What? Me? Never. Uh, and, it, and it feels like something that should be talked about it a lot more to destigmatize it, make it less taboo. We're all eventually, I mean, maybe not all, but a lot of people are going to have sex and it'd be, um, I mean, it's better to talk about things. I'm not from the mindset that things shouldn't be spoken about. I like to talk about death. I like to talk about sex. I, I know you said on, um, on one of your videos that communication is so important. And I think I just want to touch on that um, for anybody listening I think the question in your video was how, what mistakes people make when they have sex. Mm -hmm. Elaborate on that. I I don't know if you remember which video I'm referencing, but Mm -hmm. that's something about like people make a lot of mistakes when they have sex. And I, I think it's kind of fun to talk about what are, what are some mistakes people are making when they're having sex? Uh, Biggest mistake is not communicating what feels good, what feels bad and what you enjoy. Being afraid to ask our partner questions during sex and being able to communicate our intimate pleasure during sex is one of the biggest things that's holding us back from having better intimate relationships with each other. If you're unable to be like, oh, yeah, a little bit more to the left, a little bit up. Oh, right there. That's perfect. How in the world are they supposed to know? I'm sorry. They're not Charles Xavier. They can't read your mind and just like intuit instinctively that all of a sudden that tiny tremor in your hips means, oh, my God, that's the right spot. Now, if you communicate and tell them and you notice that little tremor in your hips and then you keep doing that and then they'll eventually start to intuit that and read your body language. And that's how how you get to have that kind of like quality, immersive, connective sex is it all starts with communication and being able to share your passion and your feeling with your partner is just so important to a good experience overall. Totally. Do you see yourself doing this forever? I see myself being involved in the world of sex work forever as an advocate, as a provider, an educator, somebody who just really believes in this space. I always, we see myself being allied towards this space. Awesome. One more question. Alice, what's your dating life like? Oh, gosh. Well, for myself, I'm single. I don't have any intentions of becoming a mother, so I'm not interested in children. And fully support people who choose to have kids and choose to have kids and be sex workers. I just, I'm not necessarily interested in it. I'm very happily single right now. And at the same time, there are many sex workers who are in relationships, who are happily dating or married, or maybe they're even polyamorous and have multiple relationships. And so while I choose to be single and I am single right now, I always like to point out the fact that just as many sex workers are in relationships very happily. Cool. Cool, cool, cool. Well, Alice, thank you so much for taking time to educate me and share your life with me. I I really, really, really enjoyed it. Um, and is it okay if I put your Instagram handle on here so people can connect with you? Of course. Yes, please do. As well as my email, alicelittle at thealicelittle.com. Reach out, ask questions. I love to connect with folks and hopefully even meet them in person. Awesome. Well, I feel like you're doing amazing things and you're just going to keep doing awesome stuff um, for for sex workers around the country and world. 
Oh, thank you. I really appreciate you. Well, take care, Alice. And um, maybe our paths will cross one of these days. You never know. You hope so. Have a good one and be well. Yes, you too. Take care. All right. Bye. I hope you guys enjoyed that conversation. If you are enjoying Not My Circle, please consider subscribing if you watch this on YouTube or subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you are getting this. Subscribe. Leave a review, a rating. If it's on Apple Podcasts, that would be fabulous and it would help me so much. And then I can continue having these amazing conversations with people all around the world that are different from me. Uh, Anyway, that's all. Have a great day. Bye.